how hard a time I've had. So, yeah. That'll be good. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Well, hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show that is still going, we promise. I am Max. And I'm JR. Uh, before we get into how's it going and everything, I do want to mention things have been spotty recently due to circumstances and maybe for the next few weeks, don't know, um, because Tuesday I am having surgery, uh, for my back and, uh, so what that means is come next week or the week after I don't know where I'm going to stand as far as being able to record um so I don't know how soon there will be another episode but yeah. you know I what that mean what that means is we don't know what that means <laughs> yeah it's like yeah I've I've heard of people who have had uh similar surgeries and as soon as it was it was over they were just like oh thank god i feel so much better now and then other times there's still difficulty so i don't know we'll see how that goes anyway just a heads up uh how's it going you probably it's going uh like i was saying in the or the pre-recorded part just playing a lot of hades and being bad at it um, and, uh, I actually have some work things coming this week that I'm actually excited about, so that's new and different. Um, <laughs> I get to mentor someone, and I'm pretty excited about that. Cool. Um, and, uh, or now, at least I'm you, telling myself. When you, when you say mentor, you mean mentor and not training your replacement. I both... Actually, because I'm going to a different team, oh, okay. not being fired. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to a different team. So both. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the good version of that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I don't have anything as exciting as getting cut into with lasers or whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's lasers. I think it's still just. <laughs> Boring-ass scalpels cutting into my living spine. <laughs> it's not going to be laparoscopic of, it, of any sort? No. Where they make tiny incisions and then go in with probes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You don't... You didn't pay attention during that part? They, 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 told, me what, they told me what they were going to be doing. They did not tell <laughs> me, like... How? <laughs> exi- the specifics of, like... Yeah, it was just like, we're going we're gonna to cut in. And then we're going to go in and we're going to chip away at this and then suck all that out. And then we're going to get a, get away, chip away at this bit and get rid of all that. And that'll make things easier because it's on the nerve. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I, no, I guess it's, it's very, uh, like my, so my dad has a pacemaker and when they, when they were explaining to him his surgery, he was all very like, no, 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 more. Tell me details. Keep talking. And I guess it just depends. Like, I'm guessing surgeons, when they're discussing, like, the 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 how-to, have, like, a base level of not that much information. Like, this is why we're doing this. And then, if you want to know more, they're charging by the hour. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> and once I'm in there, 
Tuesday morning. Uh, I will... I will probably find out more specifics at the, at the time, at the time that I was talking to the surgeon about what it was actually going to involve. I was still like, I was still oh, yeah. struggling with even having surgery because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a, that's a whole, especially with our mental group. That's a whole, like, there's an argument in your head about like, do I even need this versus do I blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's, we're bad. Anxiety does not make you better at healthcare. No. Especially and, your own. And <laughs> especially when it's, when it's a healthcare outcome you've never experienced before. <clears throat> because like when I was talking to the anesthesiologist, she was asking me, have you ever had surgery before? And I'm like, no. And she's like, none? And I'm like, no. And, uh, cause I still have tonsils, adenoids, appendix, all of it. Still. Wisdom teeth? The only thing I've had removed is wisdom teeth, and that was a local anesthetic. Damn. Like, <clears throat> so I have never it's... been under for anything. Um, and so. I don't think I have either. Honestly. Um, so she was like, well, what about your wisdom teeth? Have you had those removed? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, that's that counts. And I'm like, does it though? Because I, I recognize that, yes, they're removing something and sewing it up. But also, again, local anesthetic. I was awake the whole time. And yeah. I honestly, I kind of wish I wasn't because hearing the crack as they broke it was not yeah. a was not a fun feeling um i had local for my t i had local for one and general for the other i don't remember because i did tops and bottoms at different times and i think i had local for the top i don't remember doesn't matter but yeah so you know at the time that the doctor was talking to me about all of this. I was still kind of just like, okay, trying not to freak out here, trying not to like have a panic attack in the surgeon's office. Uh, yeah. it's a good thing. I'm going to be out for this. Um, <laughs> can we sedate me between now and then? Like, can yeah. I just, yeah, the, there's, there's anxiety fugue is like yeah. a real thing. That yeah. I don't think people talk about enough where you're just like, I, I, my, you're talking to me about something important and my brain is shut down because yeah. otherwise I won't absorb any of this. Yeah. We're hoping 20% gets through. Yeah. Right now. Pretty much. Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, news, a uh, few things, um, not as much as I would have expected given how long. We haven't recorded. Um, they're, they're, they have categorically confirmed that they're not going to replace Chadwick Boseman for Black Panther 2, which, awesome. Um, yeah. Not only because, you know, if they focus on Shuri, that's going to give her a chance to really have some, have a chance to shine, and... You know, there's just not a lot of black women in the MCU to amount to much. And especially right. 
Especially now, you know, since Falcon is getting a show with Winter Soldier, uh, he'll have his chance there, you know, yeah. But, but also just because, I mean, Black Panther in the MCU is Chadwick Boseman. Right. Uh, replacing Terrence Howard. Okay. Like, that's fine. I get it. He was he was hard to work with, and um, so on and so forth. Um, but he also wasn't like piv. You know, pivotal's the wrong word, but like uh, emblematic. I guess is better. I I think the major thing is I haven't like there are parts that Terrence Howard has absolutely fucking nailed. Oh yeah, and I'm not sure Rhodey was one of them. No. Uh, so yeah, uh, given the chance, maybe he would have, I don't know, but whatever. Uh, but Chadwick Boseman was the MCU Black Panther. Um, and so I don't know how you could replace him and have it be anything other than like, man, I wish Chadwick Boseman were still here. Uh, so yeah. Anything else about that? I mean, it's good, right? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's very good. I have nothing more to say than that. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, Dan Slott. Uh, A lot of people are very angry at Dan Slott because... That's uh, new. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So... The, the, uh, the big problem as it stands, and this is not because of anything Dan Slott has written or anything Dan Slott has tweeted. It's because there is a show on Disney Plus called Marvel 616 that is a documentary series sort of, it, it follows sort of the general impact of... Marvel, um, on the zeitgeist, um, you know, and so like one, one episode, I've only watched two episodes so far, so all I can comment on are these, but like, uh, the first episode talks about the Japanese Spider-Man series and how that came to be and, uh, kind of covers like a lot of the, a lot of the, um, effects that that had in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also because they talked about how like, um, you know, a lot of what we consider like the Super Sentai stuff grew out of the Spider-Man show, uh, how one of the guys on there claimed, claimed that, um, that Leopardon from the uh, Spider-Man series was the first transforming robot. Uh, and I've not found anything to contradict that because, like, Wikipedia talks about how it goes back to, like, Macross, but that was in the 80s. Um, whereas Spider-Man predates that by several years. But I don't know. But anyway, second episode deals with, like, women 
behind the scenes and, uh, you know, the impact that's had on uh, readership and on uh, causing more women to enter the field and things like that. Apparently, episode seven is called The Marvel Method, and it follows Dan Slott uh, as he writes an issue and then it goes to the artist and the letterer and the inker and yada 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 and a lot of people are very angry because the the thing about it is marvel so it used to be that there were two ways of writing comics there was the marvel method and there was full script marvel method is what stan lee did where he was basically just like Here's what I basically want to have happen in this issue. And then the artist would go off and draw the issue. And then it would come back and he'd write the dialogue. Um, Full script is where the the writer sits down and says, so-and-so does this, says this. Next panel, so-and-so does this, says this. Um, Marvel does full script now. Um, And... The Marvel method is often seen as fairly exploitative um, because the writer is basically able to roll in and just be like, uh, here's a few things, make it happen. And that was necessary when Stanley was, was one... writing every yeah, book when they it... put out. When it was one guy in charge of 15 books... And he had a stable of five artists or whatever. Yeah, that was kind of the way it had to be. But also, like, the reason why it was shitty even then is that Stan was getting all the fucking credit. Yeah. Like, not enough credit was going to Jack and uh, Steve and all those other guys. So, yeah. Yeah. That's why it was shitty then. It's shitty now because if you were to do it with just one guy on one book doing that to the artist, fuck you. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> go to hell. Yeah. And um, and that's that's basically what it comes down to is that not only not only that Dan Slott basically did that in this episode, but that he uh, it's played for laughs, I guess. Um, Ugh. it's kind of just like, do, 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 and everything as opposed <laughs> this to artist just like, is gonna, sorry, this artist is going to hate me. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, no, like he's going to hate you. And like, they're, they're down to, to the wire you. on it and all of this shit. And yeah, it's shitty. And like, there's so much exploitation going on in the, uh, in the, <laughs> comics industry i've not watched the episode yeah uh yet we're we're making our way through it but it's hard because moira's just like i don't want to watch that and we're like it's captain marvel and she's like um but it is so i can't comment on like the uh specifics the specifics of how it's presented all I can say yeah. is the way people are talking about it. Yeah, I totally I totally get where they're coming from. Um I may feel yeah, differently that's the way it's, once I've watched it. If that's it, the way it's but if that's the way it's going down where he's not only doing it that way but also 
making light of the amount of work that he's putting onto the artist and the color and letterer and all of that because like a lot of people have to do a lot of really good job in order to get book out yeah yeah making it harder on them because you don't really have a plan is worse like the writer yeah has to have in order to get everybody's life into an order it's easier if the writer just has as much fleshed out as they possibly can before they give it to the artist. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and now Dan Slott has come out and said that, you know, the way the episode is edited is not necessarily um, the full story. He said Mm -hmm. that there's a lot that was not shown and was excised in the in the uh pursuit of good television basically um which yeah probably but also like (sighs) i i find it i find it difficult to believe that these things can be created out of whole cloth. You know what I'm saying? Like, things can be deceptively edited. Right. But there's got to be something to work with there for that to be the case. Um, Right. How much and how much blame rests with who, I'm not going to get into that. But I'm just saying, like, if everything is the way it should be, they couldn't i can't imagine that they a could have done that and b this isn't like some hack coming in from the outside this is an official like disney product and their whole i the whole point is to make it seem like magical and fun and beautiful and when when that then is results in a yeah he's kind of a dick but like you know the the whole the the whole product is being engineered to do exactly not that yeah exactly (laughs) like the fact that that would come through at all means that there's there's fire there yeah right i that is that comes uh, the way that comes across to me is Disney doing the best they could with what they were given and right. that that was not just Disney being like, well, fuck this guy. Like <laughs> <laughs> we better make the entire process look awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, no, they don't want to do that. They, they're desperately trying everything they can lately to get the comics readership engaged yeah and making some weird choices but that's a whole other conversation but like this is a controlled product that this they... is the corporate line like this yeah is... exactly this is this, this is, is the... corporate <laughs> this is us saying this is how fun like that's the idea is this is how fun these comics are 
look at all how great this is. Don't you want to be involved in this? It isn't just the movies. You could go buy floppies. You're not going to do that. Um, and they, you could, but that's like the whole idea. Um, so there's no way they were going to let that get out of hand. Yeah. It just, yeah, you're right. It smacks of, uh, there must be, there's smoke here. Yeah. There's too much smoke here. Yeah. To ignore. Anyway. Yeah. But like I said, I, I, you know, this is all sight unseen. This is all just based on people talking on Twitter, um, about it and stuff like that. Uh, moving on. Uh, this is not, I don't know that this constitutes news, but I think it's interesting and I want to talk about it. Um, okay. Chris Claremont did an AMA on Reddit and, uh, if you are a fan of Claremont's, and especially if you're a fan of X-Men, uh, there's some stuff that's worth checking out in there. The thing that I found most interesting is he says he still carries a grudge over Cyclops. Um, because of how dirty, how dirty they did him. Uh, because... With the whole killing Professor X thing? No. Uh, no, 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 no. This has to do with Jean and Madeline. Um, and this is one I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, okay. Which is that after the death of Phoenix, Cyclops' arc becomes moving on and getting on with his life. And he... Uh, he stays with the X-Men for a while, then he meets Madeline. And then the question becomes, well, the X-Men need me, so does my family. Um, this is then exacerbated once Madeline gives birth to Nathan. And it culminates, that side of things culminates in the fight between uh, Storm and Cyclops for leadership of the X-Men. It's at that point that Cyclops realizes, you know what? The X-Men are okay without me. I can focus on my family. Uh, So he goes off to live with Madeline and Nathan. Um, And then that's the way it was. And that's the way uh, Claremont had intended it. Like, from that point on, was just he was going to be a family man and watch his son grow up and stuff like that. So then they started, they started, um, working on X factor and the decision was made to bring back Jean Grey. And at that point, Marvel said, excuse me, said Jean's back. She and Scott are a couple. That's all there is to it. Put them back together. And so Louise Simonson on X Factor then had to basically write a story where Cyclops just said, you know what, Jean's alive. You were fine while she was dead, but now that she's alive again, fuck you, fuck our kid. I'm going to be with her. Um, And, you know, Claremont Claremont was talking in in the AMA about, and again, I completely agree. This is this is one of those things, like, there are things I don't like about Claremont, but this is one I am wholeheartedly on board with. 
Um, the fact that they did that, not only that they did that, but then they retroactively made it okay because it turns out that Madeline was just a clone of Jean and so on and so forth. And what an absolute prick they made of Cyclops over that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. It's it's interesting. There was one of the other answers that I found interesting was somebody asked him how he felt about Xavier and whether he was the paragon of mutantdom or if he is a, if Claremont considered him to actually be as manipulative and like Machiavellian as he comes across in a lot of things and Claremont's answer was both <laughs> um and he he gives a very interesting answer um he does ramble like he does but um what it comes down to is that one of the reasons that uh Claremont was constantly trying to sort of get rid of Xavier is because Xavier is perfect like as conceived Xavier's perfect and the longer he's around all you're going to do is diminish him and so that's why he was constantly trying to uh you know send him off to be happy with Lalandra or kill him off or you know whatever and he's like and that's why he was trying to move um Magneto into a position of being headmaster of the school is because that's far more interesting from a writing standpoint. And yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. Um, so it's interesting. Go check it out. Huh. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I keep forgetting how long he was on X-Men. Yeah, it was... Like, it's seriously crazy. Because he's writing X-Men when we're reading it now. Yeah. And he's writing X-Men into the... Into, into the, the 90s. 90s? It was 17 years. Jesus. Uh, and, like, just how much stuff... I mean, I know we've talked... We've beaten the, the hell out of this horse. But just how much stuff he was in... He was the architect in that is, like absolutely completely memorable x-men moments in yeah. that time yeah and I, I forgot he i forgot he was all the way up to scorn yeah jesus all right yeah because he came back so he left in 93 and then he came back in the lead up to 2000 um because they brought a they they brought him back specifically on X Men during the uh, revolution stuff. Um, when when they did that whole thing about the uh, the mutant mutants, <laughs> uh, the people that were oh, in the yeah. vault that were like that considered mutants as far below them as humans are below mutants and yada 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 they called mutants spikes 
I right. forget what they were called, but um, but yeah, he came back when they redesigned all of their costumes, and uh, I think it was Lionel Francis Yu that designed them. Yeah, right after Cyclops died in the twelve. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Claremont has been. And now he's now he's writing a story for X Men Legends, the new series they're going to be doing. That's just various creators uh, writing stories at various times in the continuity. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So comics, comics. Uh, we start this week with. A random issue of Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange number 29, which has a cover by Frank Brunner, written by Roger Stern, penciled by Tom Sutton, inked by Ernie Chan, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Annette Kowacki, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Um, this one, this so, one does a couple of things. <laughs> Sorry. This one starts with, uh, Doctor Strange and Clea getting ready for an evening of boning down. Yeah. Like, that is what is going to happen. Yeah. Like, we're full-on silky robes and, like, underwear optional <laughs> on both of them. Like, it's um, clear because even Wong is the only one talking in the opening splash and he's like, they really needed this day off because they've had a bad week or whatever. And it's like, yeah, man, they're... You're saying they need to go to town on each other. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, if things had started any later, then uh, Wong would have been in the walking into the middle of a whole bunch of fuck fumes. Uh, but, like, the so this is interrupted because Yellow Jacket uh, calls and he's just like, hey, so a weird thing happened here. Uh, the Black Knight statue. Um, yeah. And Doctor Strange is like, that's weird. Also, uh, the in-betweener warned me about Thanos. And they're like, oh yeah, no, we took care of that. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, oh, okay. And, uh, and then this is all finally interrupted like they are not they are categorically unable to take the train to bone town because uh nightwing shows up and he's just like hey so there's some strange stuff at work and dr strange is just like can you give me a day or two because i'm trying to get to work here and uh nighthawk's just like well there's there's stuff happening and maybe people are dying um <laughs> so dr strange is just like uh fine all right um, fine let's go i shouldn't tell my romantic partner that i'm leaving bye <laughs> yeah because there's the last panel right before they go to the uh to the plant is him putting the cloak of levitation on and Cleo walking through some curtains in the background going, Steven? And then they just apparate out. Yeah. And it's like, uh, dude. Yep. When yeah. she leaves you, 
You will deserve it. Oh, absolutely. I just want you to know. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I I remember reading um, Earth X back in the back in the late nineties, and uh, and that was my first exposure to Clea, uh, and I don't I did not know what the deal was uh, regarding her and why yeah. she hated Steven so much. And, uh, but now I get it. I totally get it. And she's right to holy shit. Um, mm-hmm. but so the rest of the issue is they investigate a thing at Richmond enterprises. Oh no, it's death stalker who gives a shit. And, uh, he's trying to steal some prototype they're building. Um, but he fails and it's blasted back at him and he disappears. We, yeah. After all of the interesting Steven's terrible at his own relationship stuff, this quickly devolves into a nothing burger with Deathstalker because it's always that when Deathstalker shows up, it's just like, don't let him touch you. He will vaporize, whatever. Like, I don't care once he's there. Deathstalker is the biggest wet fart uh, in in Marvel. Um, Because there are, you know, we laugh about about when they introduce characters and they they treat them like uh, like they're going to be the next big thing. But like. There's genuine there's genuinely no way of knowing on their part that it won't be. So you have to yeah. treat every character like they're going to be the next big thing because fuck, who knows. Um it's even if it's the kangaroo, like yeah. you have to give it its due. And plus, yeah. you got to you got to buy get people to buy the goddamn magazine. Like Yeah. So I get it, but with Deathstalker, it is and a wet fart is the best way I can think to describe it because it's a whole lot of sound and fury that makes you think it's going to be something. And then it's just not, you kind of just got to, you just there, you know, there's a little bit of cleanup and then you're done. And that's all death stalker is. He's just like, yeah, he's there and some stuff happens. And then you're done, and... I mean, the, the it only becomes interesting in a, like... Every Deathstalker fight ends up being a, how do you beat him without him touching you? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and here, it's clever use of the Agamotto. In Daredevil, it's kick him in the chest into a vat of something. Um, like, that's... And it's it's... Dancing around until we finally get to that point. Um, this is a better version of that. It's still not worth the time of like boiling down. And I and uh, I think the I think the fundamental problem is, with Deathstalker is when you strip that out, that's all there is. You know, yeah. like I could deal I could deal with like how are we going to beat him? Oh, here we go. Like yeah. if there were something more to the character. 
but there's not. He's a one-trick pony, and that's it. Well, and I mean, like, when you're talking to, like, boiling it down, stripping it out and seeing what else is there, like, that's why most of the Green Goblins are still interesting, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the fight is still just them punching each other, Mm -hmm. right? In various locales at at different heights, but, like, or different altitudes, but it's still just them punching each other. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is the fact that, like, Peter is either really trying to beat the hell out of the Green Goblin, or he's really not. Yeah. Like, there's, there's tension in the fight because of he knows who he's fighting, or he thinks he knows who he's fighting, or, you know, whatever. Like, all of that. That's that's why the fights are interesting. This just is... There's nothing interesting about Deathstalker. I don't know anything about him. Right. I just know... Deathstalker is nobody. He's... He's... Yeah. I don't know... Other than his wanting to escape Limbo, I don't really know why he's doing anything. And honestly, I don't really know why he wants to escape Limbo. Like, Seems like he's got a pretty good thing going. Yeah, and I mean, like, what what is here that his being in Limbo is keeping him from? And right. that has never been established, so I don't... I don't give a shit. Like... Yeah. He wants to get back from Limbo. Fine. Why? Why is he stuck in Limbo? What's he left behind that he's trying to get back to? Like, give me something more than just a vague motivation. We never get the... With a lot of villains, we get two or three pages of them, you know, either building their scheme or putting their machine together or wandering the streets, pondering evil. But like, there's always that coupled with the flashback of why we should give a shit of like who they are, where they came from and all that. I have never seen that for Deathstalker. And if I had, I promptly deleted it and I apologize. But like, I couldn't tell you what it was. I don't know. I don't know. And because I don't know, like, yeah, like you say, I don't give a shit. I don't care. Well, I think it's I think it's the fundamental thing. I mean, it's like, why is Magneto such an interesting character? It's not because he's a mutant supremacist. Like, that in, of, uh, in and of itself isn't a motivation. We just know what he wants. But yeah. when you get it, it's when you get into why. It's when yeah. you get into what brought him to the point that he says mutants and humans can never live in harmony that the character becomes interesting. And so when you have just a base vague motivation, you know, if Magneto had shown up and he's just like, I think mutants are better than everybody. He would not have been as compelling a villain as he's become. Um, Well, Magneto works because the, because of the dichotomy of where he comes or uh, why why he's doing this is the same kind of reason that he shouldn't be doing this yeah right like that's that's why it's like don't you see that this struggle is and that's what Xavier is bouncing back and off of him and it never works because that's why it's fun is like the why it never works too is also like what I'm reading for. 
Yeah. Like, how is how is it going to get... How is Xavier going to fail at convincing Magneto that he's wrong for his own reasons this time? Right. Or it's because something explodes, usually. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, that's... <laughs> Earth attacks Avalon again because that went so well last time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't... Okay. Dead horse. No, um, I. I just like I said. I. I think. I think he's compelling because I understand him. I. I yeah. don't agree with the shit he does, but I get why he's doing it. And the right. most interesting villains are the ones where you're like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, that's why, you know, there are, there are a lot of reasons why I will never take Mr. Sinister seriously, but among them are the fact that he does not have a compelling motivation other than, I sure do like jeans a lot, and, like, (laughs) um, I really enjoy, uh, fucking with people. Yeah, and that's, that's Uh, not, like... Okay, I, I would I would love for you, Gambit. Would you mind going into the sewers and just killing a bunch of Morlocks? Why? I really want their organs. Um, four, because <laughs> um, and I okay. And I think that's why I think that's why when when everybody used to sit around joking about bring me more cats, <laughs> I think that's why. Uh, I think that's why that was so appropriate and fit Sinister better than it would have anybody else. Because you couldn't do that with Apocalypse. Apocalypse, okay, like, you know, yeah. fine. But, like, Sinister's whole thing is just like, I I like jeans a lot. And, like, let me play with your DNA. And it's just kind of like, okay, but why do you play with DNA? Cause I'm fucking crazy, and it's just <laughs> Cause like I'm, cause I'm weird. I am deeply, deeply weird. Yeah, that's not a motive. That's that's not a that's a part of your. But that's not a lot. That's not context. You're just fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, and and like okay, they've they they did the whole thing. Well, he's obsessed with evolution, and he. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, but why is he obsessed why? with the evolution? Like, give me something that's more than just, you know, a sentence fragment of like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So anyway. Apocalypse's, Apocalypse's obsession with uh, evolution completely makes sense because he's been alive for so goddamn long. And like, this is his whole deal like is and he believes he is the harbinger for mutant kind's next phase for and, and when you look like at that's sorry when he gets that kind of god complex like now it becomes a little more fleshed out where yeah in sinister is just maybe the same thing with none of the baked in parts and I think that I think that when you look at Apocalypse's backstory as it's since been filled in, it comes to make more sense because it's just like you see how the events that formed him 
early on could then become that monomania. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand why a dude who was abandoned and raised by uh, by a nomadic tribe my and who experienced all this hardship you know in in um an ancient society might come to view survival of the fittest as the way to go um there is there is nothing like that for characters like death stalker and and like sinister where it's just like I do stuff. Why do you do stuff? Because I like it. Okay. You know, even even Sabretooth, like Sabretooth oh, yeah. likes killing. Why? Well, when he was when he was a kid, his parents kept him chained in a basement and ripped out his teeth and fingernails and it's just like, <laughs> okay, like I yeah. understand that. Like <laughs> cool. I'm not saying I agree with it, but that's at least an, an explanation for something. Right. And like, you know, uh, yeah, Z- no, I'm, I'm completely, I have nothing else to add. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah. So fuck that stalker. I, yeah. Uh, moving on. Finally, uh, Captain Marvel number 57 has a cover by Pat Broderick and Bob Wachek. Uh, written by Roger McKenzie, penciled by Pat Broderick, inked by Bob Wachek and Terry Austin, colored by Don Warfield, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Jim Shooter. And this is another one that's kind of, you know, okay. Uh, so after we left things with Marvel and the whole Thanos shit, the short version is this. Thanos Thanos wasn't able to destroy the sun, but he still kind of fucked with it. And in the process, it's now putting out all of this energy. Energy which Marvel is now absorbing and which is going to wind up uh, destroying the Earth if he's not stopped. So he tries to... He's like out looking for literally anyone... <laughs> Uh, and Thor shows up and he's just like, okay, okay. Uh, what's, what do you want? And he's like, kill me. Um, (laughs) so there's a fight and Rick is there, of course. And he's just like, we need to, we need to stop this. Marvel needs help, not a hammer to the face. And, um, ultimately the fight itself is good. Um, it kind of goes back and forth a bit. Um, well, the best part of the fight is that the best part of the fight is Thor. Yeah. Always. Um, because, and it's not because he's being, you know, Superman and just pummeling the shit out of him or whatever. Right. He's actually being, Superman's actually really apt because he goes, Okay, clearly you're in distress. We need to figure out another plan. And he's like, we don't have the, you know, Marvel's like, we don't have the time. Let's just fucking do this. And Thor's like, uh, fine. And kind of goes to hammer at him pretty hard, but he's still pulling his punch. 
And uh, he figures, it's Thor that figures out another way. And is like, okay, wait a minute, how about this? And he throws the, isn't he, he throws the hammer, hits the gauntlets, and opens up a, yeah, the negabands, opens up a, uh, a tear to the negative zone, and is like, there, go! And he hits him real hard, and all the energy gets forced into the negative zone. Yeah, where... the negative zone, like, sucks all the excess energy out of him. And, uh... Leaving Marvel completely wiped, but alive. And in the process, and... creates a new sun in the negative zone, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. And, it, yeah. It's rad. Yeah. Because Thor figures out a way... To not do what he's being, what is what would be the easiest thing to do? Yeah, which is just crush his skull because you're Thor. Yeah, um, and even if he's Marvel, you can still do that. Yeah, um, and he doesn't, and he kind of, and he, you know, he's fighting his, he's fighting Marvel's solution as much as he's fighting Marvel. Yeah, like he doesn't want to do any of the things that he's being told to do. And it's a really good use of Thor. Yeah. So, uh, good, good Thor in your Marvel comic. Yeah. Um, and Rick Jones is there. He is there. That is a true statement. <laughs> uh, yeah. I really, I really like how this is resolved. And you know, there's so much of uh, of uh, the. There's so much of superhero comics that's just punching each other until one of you falls. And so when we when we get something that is uh, trying to find some other way to do things or um, or there is some motivation other than simply busting each other's faces uh, that that's that is a pleasant surprise. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about Ragnarok. This is the same sort of fight where Hulk comes out and initially Thor's like, holy shit, buddy. And then he, they start punching or Hulk starts wailing on him and he's like, Hey, we don't want to do this. Yeah. This isn't what we want to do. Um, that resolves differently, but this, and I think this is actually better. Um, where he continues to not fight him while fighting him. Yeah. That's, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Uh, so that brings us to Power Man number 48, which has a cover by Gil Kane and Joe Sinnott and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Dan Green, colored by Francois Mouly lettered by Annette Kowacki and edited by Archie Goodwin. I do think it's interesting. I didn't realize apparently Chris Claremont and John Byrne didn't really get along. Oh, really? Yeah. Apparently, uh, John Byrne taking over Fantastic Four was because he went to Jim Shooter and was just like, um, okay, one of us has to go. And, uh... So Jim Shooter took John Byrne and put him on Fantastic Four and left Claremont on X-Men. And uh, again, 
the AMA, Claremont was saying that there's an interesting, there's an interesting alternate reality where the opposite happened. And so he's like, I, it's interesting to think about all the ideas that I never put into X-Men that I would have wound up putting into Fantastic Four or what new ideas would have been, you know, and stuff like that. So anyway, um, so we are, we are sort of leading up to at, at issue 50, it's no longer power man. It becomes power man and iron fist. And, uh, so, they were um we had to we had to introduce them at some point in order for that to work so issue 48 starts and um power man comes bursting in looking for misty knight uh misty is not there it's just colleen um yeah i would call this issue in which power man is a dick yeah because he just busts in thinking because he's looking for misty and he's thinking that if misty's there and he's met her i believe i i forget whether they have or not um but he's expecting resistance of power man levels um and instead it's colleen who holds her fucking own honestly she Uh, yeah i mean she goes down but she doesn't go down easy and for for his being super strong and impenetrable skin you know fair play to her she yeah she fought it out to the end um but she's able to to call for help and uh they they are on their way, but they don't really get there quickly enough to in to um to stave off the worst of it in that some a bunch of shit falls on her <laughs> um they are able to uh they are able to um fend luke off at which point um well actually no i'm sorry um it actually it culminates in the fact that luke gets the upper hand over danny and starts choking him um and it's only then that he pulls back and he's like okay shit i this is not who i am so it's then that they're able to sit down and talk it out. And Luke explains that um, his his friends, the Doctor and Claire, have been abducted by uh, Bushmaster. And that he has been um, blackmailed into... Uh, finding and bringing him Misty Knight or else they will die. Um, uh, which is pretty much where this ends. Um, the, I, before we go, one, one like freaking cool thing that uh, Iron Fist does is as he's got 
Misty on Luke's got Misty on the ground and is like, you know, immobilizing the arm to take that out of play. And uh, you just see uh, Danny just emerge from the darkness behind him, being like, "Turn around, Mister Cage!" And he tur- like next page is Luke being blown through the front of the building. Yeah. Um. So no, you done fucked up. Like at that point. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at. Uh, Shades and Tomahawk? What's his name? Ah, uh, fuck. Uh, yeah. I... They're monitoring I, another guy are monitoring from a car on the street to make sure like that this goes down the way that it's supposed to and that uh, everything's good and he they they go oh shit it's fucked let's go and they leave yeah um but so they're sorry off about to the door bushmaster. slamming yeah <laughs> <laughs> they're off to tell bushmaster about the uh how lucas failed yeah and uh so it's already bad it's right? uh so. it's comanche comanche yeah um, not better uh not <laughs> not great no it's uh it's it's bad but that's fine whatever uh the yeah the the thing that i will say um there is a moment in this where where when they're talking um misty leaves for a moment and sort of looks up um luke cage in nc I want to say NCIS, but that's the that's the TV show, the the national database, and in doing so, um, she uh, she finds out sort of what his whole situation is, and uh, she gives him the opportunity to tell them the truth regarding that, uh, and he does. At which point she says, "Okay." Like, you had an opportunity to lie, and you didn't, so I'm going to extend to you a basic level of trust. We're not best friends, but at the very least, you, you know, you've passed the first test of of this, and so, cool. And I kind of dig that. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, so that brings us to Machine Teen. No, uh, Ghost Rider number 29, uh, which has a cover by Rich Buckler and is written by Roger McKenzie, penciled by Don Perlin, inked by New York Tribe, uh, colored by George Russos, lettered by Peter Iroh and Gene Simek, and edited by Archie Goodwin. I tried to, like... New York Tribe uh, apparently inked a total of like three comics that I can find. And it was like an issue of Human Fly, an issue of Tarzan, and Ghost Rider number 29. So I can't find literally, I can't even find who New York Tribe was. Like, yeah, usually with a name like that, it's a consortium of. A bunch of different people right right and you can usually find out who they were but i couldn't find anything about new york tribe so 
whatever. Um, so, uh, the, the short version on this issue is that, um, Johnny is doing a motorcycle stunt. He winds up in the middle of doing this stunt, which is just jumping a canyon. Uh, he winds up falling and being teleported to this place, um, where Doctor Strange and his villainous followers are like being evil. Um, and so, yeah, it turns out the whole thing is Dormammu trying to convince Johnny that Doctor Strange is evil so that he can then turn him loose on the real Doctor Strange. Pretty straightforward. Um, so, we... Most of this issue is just setting setting that up and, you know, a whole lot of the faux Doctor Strange just being like, yes, I love evil so much and I'm going to destroy you simply because I can and everything. And at the end of it, um, Ghost Rider's just like, ah, I'm going to get you, at which point Dormammu just like, drops him in Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. Doctor Strange, understandably, is just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and Ghost Rider is like, I'ma kill you! And uh, sets us up for next issue. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I, I Like I said, I do like Doctor Strange's reaction in that it's just... It there is no stoic like ah, I see. It's just like holy shit. <laughs> uh, what? But yeah, I mean, um, it's a very not to make too much of it, but it's like it is a very human moment where he's just like, God damn it, what is this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I the only thing that would have made it better is if he was like making a casserole yeah. or something just perfectly inane, Well, he's, like perfectly he, whatever. And like, he's in the process of like taking it out of the oven when ghost writer like materializes in the room and he like drops it and tuna casserole goes everywhere. And he's just like, Holy shit. What's going on? <laughs> He's, but, he's doing the mystic version of that, I'm choosing to believe, because he's standing at, like, this bubbling, you know, mini cauldron, and uh, Ghost Rider comes bursting through the fucking wall, and he's just like, Gah! What? Ah! Yeah. Oh! How'd you get it? You're not supposed to be able to do that. All right. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, in the course of, in the course of these two issues... There is a bounty hunter who's going around collecting uh, bounties on souls, and he kills them, and then he's whatever. Who cares? Moving on. Uh, Ghost Rider <clears throat> number uh, 30 has a cover by Ernie Chan inked and is inked by Jim Mooney, colored by Mary Beveridge, uh, lettered by Joe Genovese and edited by Jim Shooter. Um, a lot of, a lot of this is your fairly standard, like Dr. Strange is doing everything he can because demon, uh, 
Ghost Rider is doing everything he can because magician. And pretty, pretty, pretty standard. Not a bad fight, just like pretty much what you would expect from that. Um, until eventually, uh, he Strange is able to knock out Ghost Rider. Um, and uses his, uh, astral form to find out what the fuck is going on uh while he is in ghost rider's mind dormammu's just like all right well i'm rumbled so he comes in and he's just like haha it was me and they start fighting um dr strange in order to keep things uh keep Johnny safe from falling under Dormammu's sway again, transports his mind into his, meaning Dr. Strange's, uh, inert form. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's fucked up. I, I like, it's a, it's a solution. But I like that the complicated the complication from this solution is that he so he throws Johnny's mind into his bot into his own body, and then then his mind strange strange is left there to fight what's left of Dormammu, which means there's nobody at the wheel of Johnny's body, right? And that's well, why... Dormammu, Dormammu's controlling it. Um, is he? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Dormammu is controlling the Ghost Rider and fighting Doctor Strange. Because that's just... That's how powerful Dormammu is. Alright. Um, but, yeah. So, you have... You have an interesting setup for next issue. Yeah. And it's one that... I wish we'd gotten more of a chance to explore um, because the amount of time it took to get here, we don't really get to enjoy it, no. um, but whatever. So um, Ghost Rider number 31 then uh, has a cover by Frank Robbins and is inked by Bob Layton. That's where we pick things up. Johnny is in the body of Doctor Strange, which... Okay, fine. But he doesn't know any of Doctor Strange's shit. So while Dormammu has all of the abilities of the Ghost Rider at his command, Johnny's just like, okay, well, I'll take this cape and use it to wrap him up and stuff like that. And he manages to hold his own, but he's still effectively just a guy. Um, Eventually, though... Uh, Strange is able to get the upper hand and uh, kicks Dormammu out. Um, at which point uh, Strange is then able to put Johnny back in his own body. Um, and they're just like, okay, well, thanks, <laughs> and everything. But then immediately after that happens, Johnny is beset by the bounty hunter um and that sets off a whole chase and when that happens clea is just like what was that about and dr strange is like 
I don't fucking know. Let's uh let's go inside and do some other stuff. Um should we help By him? which I assume by which I assume he means make that booty clap. Yeah. But well, and I like that her basic look is like should we help him? What the hell is going on? And he's like I'm afraid we can't. And then he goes inside. And it's like <laughs> yeah. You no. Okay. You could try. <laughs> um but so they go on this chase. Uh, Johnny's doing everything he can, including like driving up walls and shit. But it doesn't matter because eventually uh, he gets struck down by by a blast of hell fire from the bounty hunter. And it's then that what could have been a promising story kind of just. Uh, yeah. Pull, ghost Rider pulls a ghost rider. Yeah. Pulls the Death Stalker. Ah. Um, Ghost Rider number 32 has a cover by Keith Pollard and Bob Layton and is written by Roger McKenzie and Don Perlin, inked by Rick Bryant, colored by Francois Mouly, lettered by Gaspar Saladino and Diana Albers, edited by Roger Stern and Jim Salkrup. Uh, we The Bounty Hunter takes... Uh, ghost rider to this ghost town. Um, and it's then that we get the exposition dump and it turns out that the bounty hunter was a bounty hunter in the old West. Uh, and then he died because of course he did. Um, and was sent, was, uh, sent to hell. Uh, but then he made a deal whereby he would uh, go around collecting bounties and after like 50 of them, I believe, yeah. um, he would he would be released from the devil's servitude and I guess get to go to heaven. I whatever. Um, I think not hell is enough. Well, I just I they don't really address what what he gets other than it won't be that um and like don't get me wrong i think staying out of hell is a good is a good motivation in that regard but like it it's never actually stated you'll get to go to heaven or you'll get to just hang out as a as a random spirit on earth or anything else. But of course it's a moot point because the devil doesn't keep his bargains. So uh so of course uh no sooner do we get the exposition than a bunch of other creatures a bunch of these uh hellish cowboys show up and uh Johnny tries to help to a certain, like he, he fights them. Uh, but it doesn't matter because they wind up taking, uh, the, the bounty hunter anyway. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot to this. I don't really get, uh, specifically like what purpose a bounty hunter serves, for the devil like 
he's going around collecting souls, which in the case of the Ghost Rider, I understand. Um, because the devil's had a hard time keeping Ghost Rider contained. Right. But like one of the dude, one of the bounties he collects is just some fucking guy. And it's just like, you needed him for that? Like, yeah, that, that guy seems like something, if you're Satan, that seemed like something you could take, you could take care of on your lunch break. Like, and like, I don't understand why you even have to. Yeah. Like I get, I get why you're sending the ghost, sending him after the ghost rider. Um, but like this random guy, like, it seems like all you'd have to do is just wait. Like, yeah, he's probably going to get OD on Coke at some point. Like just let nature run its course and it'll be yours. You don't have to do anything. You are eternal. Just hold on. Yeah. Uh, so whatever it, Again, just kind of just goes nowhere. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, we interrupted what could have been an interesting story to tell this, and then it just ends abruptly. So, I don't know. I, it's a, it, I guess, I guess it's an apt metaphor that sometimes shit just ends and leaves you completely unsatisfied and there's nothing to be done about it because life is just a meaningless slog. <sighs> X-Men number 110 uh, has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Terry Austin, and Irving <coughs> Watanabe and is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Dave Cockrum and Tony DeZuniga. Inked by Tony DeZuniga, colored by Andy Yanchis, lettered by Annette Kowecki, and edited by Archie Goodwin. Woohoo. It is uh, Moira McTaggart's last day at the mansion before she goes home. And uh, to celebrate that, the X-Men decide for the first time to play baseball. Um, Why that's... I don't know why that why it is that they're just like yes that is how we will send her off there is you know this is the quintessentially the quintessential x-men in america experience here you go baseball but whatever if it was like they decide to do she was really into baseball or something but that's never been right yeah there's been no indication of that but okay so. it's uh it is the first appearance of x-men playing baseball uh hooray get ready for that um yeah. you know i yeah like i feel like if this were if this were part of a montage in which uh in which the x-men did quintessentially american things like um like baseball, American pie, gerrymandering, or <laughs> finding the local tribe and taking a bunch of their shit. Like, okay, sure. Sure. But this is just, we wanted to play baseball. And 
This is an excuse. So they play baseball and Wolverine legitimately tries to kill somebody. Uh, but then uh, Moira goes Moira goes to um, let in a telephone repairman. And then uh, while that's going on, Cyclops takes the X-Men and makes them go into the danger room. Um, Jean, during all of this, is trying to figure out what the hell she's going to do. Like, the whole Phoenix thing is ostensibly settled. And she's trying to... So now she's just trying to figure out where she belongs. Um, So, it turns out that the telephone repairman who shows up is actually Warhawk who previously showed up being completely unhinged in Iron Fist. Uh, He knocks out Moira, and then while the X-Men are in the danger room, locks them in and removes the safety protocols and just has shit go haywire. Um, The X-Men start trying to figure out how to get loose, um, which causes... Uh, Cyclops to instruct Nightcrawler to teleport Wolverine outside. However, we're still at the point where Nightcrawler's teleportation is limited to, if it's anyone other than him, it hurts like hell. Um, And so they do, uh, but then they immediately pass out. Um, The X-Men, meanwhile, are locked in battle with all sorts of traps and various other devices. Eventually, what winds up happening is Warhawk finds Nightcrawler and Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine uh, fights uh, Warhawk, excuse me, and uh, the X-Men are able to escape. Um... And Warhawk is arrested and led away. Um, There is mention of the fact that Warhawk was rescued and his sanity restored by whoever sent him there. And at the end of it, uh, when he's captured, his mind descends into madness again. So they're not able to get any answers. We do eventually find out it was Sebastian Shaw. Shaw, um, first of all, the Hellfire Club was behind, uh, Lang's Sentinels, and so they were able to use the information they found out, uh, about the X-Men from that to provide Warhawk with everything he needed to gauge the X-Men's abilities, um, and they're the ones who sent him, so... Yeah. Um, At the end of this, though, um, Jean realizes that as Warhawk was coming through and, like, uh, darting everybody that wasn't being tested, uh, she wasn't really able to do anything. And she realizes that, yes, she's received a massive power upgrade, but... um, She needs to learn how to use it, so she's going to stay with the X-Men. Hooray. Um, 
There's not really a lot to say about this other than baseball. It's a... Baseball and we fight the danger room. Like... Yeah. Um, not a lot happens here. I wish... I wish Wolverine weren't such a piece of shit still. Um, yeah. But we're getting there with him. Um it's it's really hard to keep those sorts of things in perspective it really is because you know when you're when you're going back and reading it you know this part of wolverine's arc is resolved um yeah he's gone from a loner to someone who actually enjoys being around other people and who's come to care about them uh and so when we, when you're used to the latter part of that to then go back to when he wasn't uh anything <laughs> anything that isn't at least moving that forward uh feels like a waste of time yeah i mean it's very much the same way i feel about captain america a few like guess like few years ago of us reading was where it's like back and forth on is Captain America persona or is it his character? Blah, blah, blah. Like who is Steve Rogers back and forth, back and forth instead of just, they are the same person. Like he's always on and it's much easier that way. And it's stronger for the character that way and blah, blah, blah. So like going back, it's just like, good God, if we let's just go, let's get it. Get it fucking done, man. Um, and yeah. exactly what you were saying is it bumps but, me because it's annoying. Yeah, no, I I, I, mean, I get it. It just has but to resolve. I get it too. Yeah, it, and you can't you can't. It's hard not to. Uh, it's hard not to get bogged down in the in the fact that. Uh, I want that to be, I want it to be where it's at, but, but also like a lot of this stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how we got to this place and we have to allow for the fact that it's got to play out. Yeah. So there are 40 years of comics between 40, 50. Well, this is, this is the late seventies. So, uh, 40, uh but anyway yeah it's like i said it overall this issue though i think it's one that i never really paid a ton of attention to uh like when i would be reading the kind of classic x-men stories this one was always just one that it was like okay let's let's do it let's get it done and move on to the next thing um by itself it's fine yeah yeah it's kind it's, of it's all it is it's fine yeah i really i really wish we were reading more x-men right now but uh yeah the slow drip is real hard because i want it get, is i want to get to it's like 12 it's like five issues and we start getting to some really good shit but like 
one. We have so little X Men right now, and it, it I hate it so much. It's like one every two weeks. And it's just uh, yeah. All right. Uh, back to Ghost Rider number thirty three, which has a cover by Bob Budiansky, <laughs> uh, Bob Wachek, uh Irving Watanabe, and is written by Roger McKenzie and Don Perlin. Penciled by Don Perlin, inked by Don Perlin, colored by Francois Moulet, uh, lettered by Diana Diana Albers, and edited by Roger Stern. Uh, I can't help but laugh about Bob Budiansky. Uh, the the thing about it is, as a Transformers fan, Bob Budiansky was one of the incredibly formative people. Oh, really? Uh, for the for what that would become because. Hasbro literally they they had all of these all of these toys from several different toy lines and they were like let's make them a thing and then they brought them to Marvel to create um who they would become and it was the people at Marvel that were actually sitting down and saying okay this is Optimus Prime yeah he is this and stuff like that and Bob Budiansky was one of those one of those people and so yeah just seeing his name on something i'm like nah <laughs> i know you um yeah again we get back to disappointing ghostwriter though uh because in this issue johnny's just wandering through the desert uh after having been <laughs> dumped in a ghost town by the bounty hunter and he happens across this old old prospector uh named Woody Gunther's um did they still have prospectors in, in 1978 like i not in I feel, Nevada i don't think like in the Yukon <laughs> yes but like in the US i feel like you know there were miners, certainly, but they would have, but like, as far as like a prospector, like, hee out in the, out in the, uh, in the sun baked, uh, wastes digging for gold. Yeah. I, I don't think that was, no, but whatever. I'm pretty sure there were a lot of like, uh, all of this was regulated and owned by corporations. Like, there's no yeah. stake your claim kind of thing going on. It's, uh, the claims are already staked. Uh, there, there is and a... any And any staking that was going on was like a consortium approaching the local government saying, hey, we'd like to, uh, pay you for your mineral rights. Yeah, it's the, Not the like... beginning of, the beginning of there will be blood, uh, but faceless. And probably yeah. evil, also evil. Yep. Yeah. Um, um. But yeah, he finds this old fart, and I don't know. I I assume I'm gonna have to assume that the prospector was kept alive in the same way that the others were in this in this. But it it feels like a real contrivance, mm-hmm. and it feels like them just trying to sort of have their cake and eat it too, like do sort of a, uh, a pseudo Western thing while setting it in the modern day. And it's just kind of like, 
there are ways to do that, and I'm not sure this is one of them. But whatever. He's a prospector, and he's developed psychic abilities. Um, but he is beset by these things that keep coming for him. And uh, dude takes Johnny in and is kind of telling him what the whole deal is. Uh, when they come under attack from uh, these riders, also on motorcycles, who it turns out are human brains inside robot bodies. And uh, so Johnny turns into Ghost Rider and fights them. But uh, Woody winds up being taken and uh, Ghost Rider follows and they board this ship and Ghost Rider is captured. Um, it's revealed that his captor is this boy in a bubble making lots of we're ve I'm very evil noises. Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, there's this other dude there. Um, but I don't think he calls him. I father. don't think we've. Yeah. Okay. It's the kid's dad. Whatever. Uh, Ghost Rider number 34 has a cover by Don Perlin and is written by Roger McKenzie, colored by Bob Sharon and lettered by Jim Novak. It turns out that the boy uh, was born many, many years ago. His mother, uh, he's, ba he's basically a mutant um, because he's just kind of born with his powers. Um, but everybody thought he was his mother was a witch and had consorted with Satan and whatever. Um, and in the process, his mother died. Uh, he was, he was able to be born, but then he lashed out at the townspeople. He reanimated his mother's dead body, uh, and has basically kept his father alive. And in this perpetual torment, wherein he is he is forced to play house with his freakish god king son and his dead wife and uh during that time Nathan has basically built this bubble and this ship around him uh all of this stuff Johnny um Johnny Johnny agrees to help uh the father um kill the son <laughs> and free them from this torment uh in the course of things he discovers Wally who's been turned into a tree and you know we find out that his powers are like a portion of Nathan's that were somehow transferred to him I don't know who gives a shit? Um, but Woody is able to set off uh, a an explosion uh, of of oil um, into into the ship, 
which then Johnny ignites and the base explodes. Ghost Rider escapes and we see that uh, the kid's father is now dead laying in the <laughs> laying on the ground. So hooray. Um, yeah, nobody won this one. <laughs> there are no yeah. winners. The, the the only winners are the people who have been uh, freed from the cycle of constant torture and uh, horror that is their daily lives. Uh, all of the robots with human brains that are now free to die. Uh, stuff like that. And yeah, not a... This week's Ghost Rider, like... Um, I was really excited... When we when we finally got to the Doctor Strange versus Ghost Rider stuff, and especially once they were in each other's bodies, that could have been incredibly interesting. And then the rest of the week was just this shit. So, blech. Uh, on that note, we now get to get into some Kirby. Uh... Machine Man number one has a cover by Jack Kirby and is written and penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Mike Royer, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Mike Royer, edited by Jack Kirby and Archie Goodwin. Um, And in classic Kirby writing style, we just start. Uh, Well, the, the thing to bear in mind is that Machine Man... Machine Man originally appeared during Kirby's run on the 2001 A Space Odyssey comic. Um, And so it was after that was then dropped, uh, Machine Man was spun out into his own book. So it's kind of assumed, yeah, it does kind of drop you into stuff. But it's also kind of assumed that you know uh, something of what this dude's deal is, at least a little. Okay. Um, but anyway, so this issue starts and we're kind of given a, uh, a brief scene of Machine Man helping some hikers who are just... Apparently, like, apparently should not go out into the woods, because otherwise, you know. It's amazing they've made it this far. It it really kind of is. Um, but he helps them and then just moves on about his day. Um, while that is going on, uh, we get these... Colonel Crag, which is a classic Kirby type of name. Right. Um, and this Dr. Broadhurst, um, basically Machine Man is the last of the X series of robots and they have been assigned to retire them all. Um, and so now we have the thrust of the, um, of the conflict in this book, which is everybody wants machine man destroyed and machine man wants not that. Um, but, uh, 
Machine Man happens across this guy, Peter Spaulding, uh, who is who had been driving along and his progress was halted by a fallen tree. Machine Man just moves the tree out of the way and uh, Peter's like, hey, thanks. Can I give you a ride? And Machine Man's like, yeah, sure, why not? So he gets in the van. Uh, they start talking. Um, and we learned that Peter is a uh, psychiatrist. Cool. But then uh, Machine they hit traffic and Machine Man's like, yeah, I'm going to go. And so he gets out and a a skateboard sort of telescopes out of his feet uh, and he goes speeding through traffic. Um, this attracts attention, which causes the troops to be called in. Uh, there's a fight. There's sonic weapons that completely fuck with Machine Man. Um and so he's like, well, can't stick around and fight this out. Best to beat a tactical retreat. So he does. Then he finds a sign saying he's two miles from Central City. Remembers that Peter said he's he lives in Central City and that he offered him, you know, help if he needed it. So he's like, okay, that's where I'll go. Cool, fun, whatever. Um... So that brings us to Machine Man uh, number two, which has a cover by Jack Kirby, written by Jack Kirby, blah, blah, blah. Everything's exactly the same. That's why I didn't write it down. Anyway, uh, Machine Man (laughs) number two. Uh, We continue with this shit, and he is... He winds up... uh, Sorry, I'm trying to get to that. I should have before I started talking about the issue. Um, well, he manages to repair himself some, but he's going to need additional work. And he wanders up to a uh, this gas station where there's an attendant outside who's like, he just wants up to him, he's like hey there how's business and the guy's like uh fine and he goes hey i was wondering if you had some tires for sale and he's like yeah wait here i'll talk to boss and this goes inside this dude's way too chill about uh this obvious android um yeah and he goes inside and he's like okay so you want some t-? the boss is like hey you want some tires what what's going on and he's like uh, you know, you have to pay for those. And he's like, ah, I gotcha. And he picks up some rocks off the ground and uh, turns them into diamonds. Which... You know, that uh, that old chestnut. Yep. And uh, he then set, grabs some tires and he's like, do you mind if I use the workshop? And the guy's like, I guess go for it. You own me now. Um, and we cut to Dr. Spaulding, who's analyzing somebody and uh they have a patient in the ward who uh is kind of losing it 
and uh, ranting about stuff in space, space things, and decaying orbits and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah. they manage they sedate him, and he goes back to sleep. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Uh, the army shows up at the gas station. Uh, Machine Man busts out on a tricycle, tricycle made from his own body and uh, loses them uh, until he is... <coughs> There's some bikers. It's just such a weirdly Jack Kirby thing. Oh, yeah. Like, he... Uh, there is a strut coming out of what I assume is his asshole uh, that attaches to the back tire and then the rod for the front tires goes through his ankles and then has a has a handlebar that goes up and he holds on to but since since he is the motorcycle ba- the tri the motor tricycle. Uh, it seems weird that that's the position he would choose. Like you don't need handlebars to drive yourself. Um, but whatever, fuck it. Uh, so he escapes and, uh, goes bouncing along on his giant ass tires, uh, meets a group of greasers whom he, uh, he freaks the fuck out of. Uh, and then he's just like, okay, this has served its purpose, even though he's still, he's still half a mile from the city. Uh, he's just like, don't need this anymore, and gets rid of all the parts, and I guess the part he was clenching in his asshole just falls out. Um, and then he makes his way uh, the nurse comes and talks to Dr. Spalding and is just like, you have a, you have a visitor. And he's just like, yeah, I'm occupied. And then like somebody lights his cigarette from a, or his pipe from across the room. And wouldn't you know, the visitor is a machine man. Um, and while they're talking, machine man's just like, there's a signal coming to this hospital from outer space. And the guy's like what and so uh they go um they go to find the guy who was ranting about various space shit and uh that's where we leave off this issue which is kind of a kind of a weird place it's just like we've resolved a thing let's go and see about it and there, and then it's just a shot of a dude screaming about like finally, and it's just like yeah, you fucking get finally. it finally. Uh, yeah, I'm trapped on a spaceship and it's falling to, into a sun. I need you to save me, and I'll show you how. Oh, okay. End of issue. Yeah, it's there isn't a there isn't really a huge hook for the next issue. Yeah, it's a other strange than, cliffhanger. <laughs> other than just. Come see what happens with this fucking guy. Um, so, Machine Man number three, uh, same same <coughs> creative team. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, 
Machine Man goes in, excuse me, and uses his various uh, attachments to beam an image of what the man is seeing. Um, and you find out that uh, the there is this intelligence that's in decaying orbit around the sun and needs help. And, hey, help me escape. And they're like, well, we kind of owe it to, like, our Hippocratic Oath to do yeah. something. Um, which, yeah, I guess. I mean, like, it would be very it would be very tempting to just say, well, once that dude dies, then this guy will be fine, right? Um, but no, they, they agree to help. Um, the army, meanwhile, does some shit. Who cares? Uh... But Machine Man uses whatever's to hand to create what they require to bring this alien intelligence uh, through. Uh, when that happens, shit starts getting sucked in. And the alien that they were trying to help is just like, yeah, I don't really care. Just get me out of here. If you have to take my place, who gives a shit? Um at which point I would just be like, well, shut it down. Uh, but no, they still wind up helping this asshole. Uh, the troops get ready to besiege the hospital as the alien is allowed uh, through. And it turns out to be 10-4, the, uh, the mean machine or whatever. But he's a... Uh, He's a represent. He's a mechanical representative of the Autocron Empire. Uh, he makes it clear that his intentions are not wholly friendly. Uh, so he and his Machine title, Man. His title is Ten Four Holocaust Specialist First Class, and it's like, yeah. oh, well, that's bad. Fuck. <laughs> no, no, you misunderstand. On my world, uh, Holocaust is the name of a brand of campy, candy, campy, campy. Holocaust is a brand of candy. I want to bring candy to everyone. It's a terrible name for candy. (laughs) It's candy for machine people. Uh, yeah. So you can, I mean, it's mostly silica. Um, (laughs) is that bad? Is that, is that? Is that you guys, you guys are able to ingest that, right? Safely? Uh-huh. No? Sucks all the water out of your body. That's weird. Huh. Have packets of it that specifically say do not eat. Damn. That's that, really what That this seems was. like a design flaw. Hmm. Like, you guys should get on that. But so he attaches a thing to Machine Man that kind of shuts him down, at which point he's able to escape. Spalding, uh saves him uh from not being able to move and so that wraps up issue number three um issue number four uh is so spalding has to kind of they have to open up machine man's brain to get him completely free of this thing and they do, at which point Machine Man 
leaps into action. The troops are there trying to fight 10-4 and uh, getting pretty well wrecked in the process. Um, and uh, the one... The one thing that I kind of I kind of like about this is that there's a moment where Machine Man is really just ready to walk away and just leave leave the troops to fight uh Ten Four on on their own when he's visited by a uh manifestation of his uh, conscience in the form of his dead father, Abel Stack, who's just like, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's like, you need to help them. And, uh, he's like, no, you're not my father. You're the man who invented, who built me and you conditioned me to think I was a human being but I'm not a man, uh, and you're dead. And Abel Stack basically says, uh, I live on in you, but if you do this, then on, then and only then will I truly be dead. Um, which was a fairly nice little moment there. But Machine Man is initially very resistant to that and, in fact, takes off his face... Um, and throws it away and uh, and has has a moment of crisis but eventually it passes and he's like you know okay all right that that was a moment uh, we can all agree but I'm better now time to go help these assholes who are trying to destroy me so he does, um, and, uh, God, it takes forever for this to fucking, it. finally he finds 10-4, um, they fight, 10-4 lashes out and destroys a bunch of shit, and at the end of things, uh, gets up, um, and signals the rest of the Autocron Empire to come and invade Earth. Uh, the humans, meanwhile, of the of Central City, are frozen and cannot move. Blah blah blah. Um, so that brings Machine Man uh, number four and our reading for this week to a close. Um. I've tried over the years to read Machine Man because I, you know, I've liked various incarnations of the character, certainly in Next Wave Agents of Hate. Um, and so I've tried. And I really, I really can't get into these. Um, well, the only thing that was really interesting, like, okay, so Kirby's campy on purpose a lot of the times um i think yeah. uh and that's that's fine like i actually don't hate that but like this this one wasn't doing a lot for me until that 
last bit that you were t- that you highlighted there in number four, where he's like, "Who am I? Why am I here?" and uh, it's just it's one of Kirby's quirks that he ne- he never wants to do that earlier, right? He always yeah. waits four or five issues before we do that with one, with one character and, or, or another. And Which is a weird... Deci- I mean... Well, go ahead. Uh, it's just one of those things that he does. Um, and I... Yeah, it is a weird decision. Um, I think that his... It feels like the thought process is... Let's get us in and get us going... Um, doing the fun things. You know, the running, jumping, climbing trees. As fast as possible. Like, let's show off the character's abilities and you'll you'll fall in love with that and it's like you know there's a certain amount of if you're a eight-year-old or a 10 or a 12 year old that yeah you don't really care about the part that you and i find interesting and especially immediately um but it's still if even if you're a 12 year old you know there's no reason to identify with this person you know um i get him a little later when it's like oh yeah, you have identity issues. Like, you don't know yeah. who you are. You don't know what you're supposed to be. You seem like a fairly nice guy, even though. Uh, so, uh, yeah, of course you're going to do the right thing, which is go fight the bad guy. But, like, you're reluctant about it. and It's just, I get... I get him more when we get to that point, and it's just, it's weird... Like, I can, I understand the justification of, like, putting that off, but I would have put that in issue two, right? Yeah. If you're going to push it back, don't push it back this far. Yeah. I don't know. I, here, here's, here's my thing. Um, you know, you said that Jack Kirby is campy on purpose, and I'm not sure I agree with that entirely. Um. Because I think I think someone like Mike Ulred is campy on purpose. Oh, okay. Okay. Fair. Jack Kirby is someone who's kind of set in his ways and is willing to change somewhat in that he's willing to embrace a more decompressed storytelling style as they have in the 70s versus what they were doing in the early days of Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um. But that's that's why it feels so strange that he waits for so long mm-hmm. is because he came up at a time when it was when it was very self-contained issues. Um, there's still somewhat I mean, they're still they're still operating under the edicts of Stan Lee at this point, which are that every issue is somebody's first. Right. And you can't always count on people being able to get every issue so you can't have it all be completely dependent on every single issue um but there's still there there's still definitely that that sense and so given that and given when he came up uh it seems odd that he would wait that long um so I don't know. It's it's frustrating because it is one of the few moments of the series where it really connected up to me because 
you know, the, 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 the books that succeed are not the books that are the flashiest mm-hmm. and they never have been. Right. They have to have some kind of heart, some kind of draw beyond that. I mean, if you look at the old, you know, the original Fantastic Four comics, you know, what may have drawn people in was some of the flash, but like the things that kept people there were Ben Grimm's struggles in being the thing and the fact that Johnny Storm is a teenager and a lot of people saw themselves in him and, you know, things like that. Those are the things that keep people around. And I would think by this point, Jack Kirby would know that and he wouldn't, he wouldn't wait so goddamn long. Yeah. But I don't know. And, and, you know, like I said, I will freely admit that all of my opinions on Jack Kirby are fired through a lens of just not really, not really sharing the love that so many people have. He's fine, but like, I, I don't, I don't feel about him the way that a lot of people do. And so a lot of this, take it with a grain of salt, but a lot of my reverence for the man is being eroded as we read these issues. And that's also unexpected, right? Yeah. Like, I did not expect that to be so... And maybe it's just... I'm steeped in a different level of comics than Jack Kirby. But, like, I've read the entire Claremont run of X-Men before. Everything's from Giant Size on... That's still going on now. It just feels so... And maybe I'm just looking at it incorrectly. Like, Kirby still feels very set in his ways. And of his time, which is 1964. And that's, like, what he wants to do is all of that. And it just feels so not what the rest of comics are doing. By, even by 70s standards. And right. I, it's just weird. It's just weird. So Yeah. Yeah. I... Like I said, I have tried so many times over the years. I remember... I remember when... When I first started sort of venturing outside of what I was... Solely able to find on the newsstand and started reading older stuff and things like that there there was you know you would you would pick up wizard magazine and there would be stuff about kirby all the time and Mm -hmm. so i there were so many times over the years that i'd go back and try to read his stuff and i just you know i think that there are a lot of there are a lot of when we are talking about jack kirby by himself Mm -hmm. okay like uh when you have jack kirby doing um jack kirby is like george lucas okay like 
the best Star Wars stuff is when someone's standing over George's shoulder going, okay, but what if just kind of, you know, like George Lucas has a lot of ideas and there's a lot of other times where somebody else needs to kind of like come in and be like, okay, let's, um, so like a lot of the ideas that he came up with back in the day are great. And I'm not, and I'm not trying to take that away from him by any stretch. The old school Kirby stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's just so much, there's so much love for Kirby doing what Kirby wants. And that's the stuff I have a really fucking hard time with. Yeah. Letting Kirby, letting him off the leash is, ends up being a bad plan. Um, Need, I don't know. You need he needs to be less a guy, but I mean that's like I mean now we're getting into like the Kirby the person who was so incredibly difficult to work with that if you were to try and edit him down and get him to focus on things or do something like that, he'd start punching fucking walls. So it's like how much of this do you want to deal with? And, uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's just easier. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's rough. All right. On that note, top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's top five. Number five, Deathstalker is so bad, we talked about other characters for half an hour. I just, (laughs) as we were doing that, I was like, man, we hate him. Uh, He is, he's fucking, and he's not even, he's not even good bad. Like, like you said, kangaroo. It's, it's vanilla, it's vanilla bad. There's nothing there. It's not, it's not even vanilla bad, because like. Oh yeah, I like right. vanilla. Vanilla tea. Vanilla is a is a good flavor. Like, yeah. it's not the best flavor, no. but like if you if you most people if they're given something vanilla flavored, they're not going to spit it spit it in your face. Yeah, or anything like that. No one's it's, unhappy to get vanilla ice cream. You're just like, I would have rather. Oh well, Deathstalker isn't even vanilla. Deathstalker is. Like, Deathstalker is ice. Deathstalker <laughs> is like, here's a, you want to, oh, you wanted ice cream? Here's some frozen water. And just it's a just block. like, yeah. And you can't and even you're do just it. Like, it's, no, you have to lick that until it's gone. No, you have to. Like, they've, they've tied you to a chair and you must lick the ice until it is gone. That's Deathstalker. It's just like a sad Deathstalker, for everyone. Deathstalker is nothing. He is he is enough to to say we had a story, and yeah. that's the sum total of it. He's not a shitty villain. Yeah, because at least a shitty villain you could make fun of. Yeah, but like with Deathstalker, you're literally just like, I wish you were literally anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. 
number four, uh, the Machine Man brain surgery. Uh, we kind of ran past it, but uh, a cool visual, um, and I liked the whole walking him through it, walking Spalding through it. Spalding? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the beginning of that issue was cool. Uh, number three, the Power Man and Iron Fist fight, um, where once, once Iron Fist gets there and they start pounding on each other, like, that's a cool they pound on each other fight because I know both of these characters by now and uh, having them fight each other for reasons that I don't understand at that point yet um, is crap but like the fight itself was good I liked it Um, yeah number two is the machine man uh, crisis of conscience and like how that makes him into a human or that gives him some humanity that yeah and context that he was kind of missing before uh and then number one is the the thor fight in marvel because thor is rad yeah like they don't have anything other than that like (laughs) thor thor is rad uh and even after he's basically given a situation that seems dire enough that he should actually like the easy option and the more complete the safer option would be to just kill him uh or just destroy him he still doesn't do that and uses his goddamn head to think of a solution even though he's under so much pressure thor's rad i don't care come at me yeah there's my hot take for you thor in the 70s was cool (laughs) yeah um number five for me is uh oh shit my casserole uh number four is seriously fuck death stalker like oh my god uh number three is uh is uh wolverine straight up trying to murder colossus in a (laughs) in a baseball game because yeah at this point in time like wolverine is still such an asshole yeah that he will just try to casually murder teammates like later on later on he becomes like well i'm not going to make it easy for you but like yeah i'll i'll play fair but like at this point, he's just like, yeah, I'm straight up going to murder you <laughs> because he comes, he comes at Peter and Peter is like not armored up. Right. But he pops his claws. So like he's, it's not like Colossus is armored up and ready for him. He's just like there and Wolverine's just like, shing, I'm going to get you. <laughs> Over. Um, you made fun of me. It's like, yeah, yeah it's baseball. We shit talk. Yeah. Come on. Uh, number two is Aaron arguing with his dad. Like you said, it it really does. Because here's the thing. If he were just a robot, then he would follow his programming. He would follow the conditioning that he thinks he received, which is you help people because you yourself are a person. Mm-hmm. 
and he would follow that programming. He's he's struggling with it because it is. It's why should I help people who actively want to destroy me? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. That is a very, a very human sort of, um, sort of moment. And it's a pity that that was the exception in that, in those four issues rather than the rule. So, yeah. And then, uh, number one is, yeah, Thor in that issue of Captain Marvel, because that was really goddamn good. Uh... So, yeah, that is it for us this week. The next time we are able to record, uh, we'll have a whole lot of Captain Marvel, um, as well as uh, the last, the, not the last two, uh, two more issues of uh, Machine Man and the, um, the first issue of the newly rebranded uh, Power Man and Iron Fist. Uh, and then... I meant to look up, what is that premiere? That's what I'm doing now. Um, that is... Uh, is that Tigra? Cool. Let me see. Yeah, that's uh, Tigra. So... Uh, but yeah, so like I said, unfortunately, I don't know when we'll be able to record that. It just depends, uh, you know, on where things stand in, in the coming weeks. So, but in the meantime, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us both individually and at, and at Watcher's Guide MU on Twitter. Uh, send us emails at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com also uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to us uh, and uh, have a marvelous week or three bye bye